this would not affect in any immigration status. This is uh, money that is rightfully ours for people who have been contributing to our society more than other people who don't pay their fair taxes. And this is the, the help that we demanding. This was not something that it was given. It was fought for every single person across the state. Good morning. This is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm Andrea Pineda Salgado. There are hundreds of thousands of undocumented workers living in New York City. Many are essential workers who stood on the front lines at the height of the pandemic, and others lost jobs and a steady income without the safety net of unemployment or stimulus checks. This problem prompted New York City to do something that no city had ever done before. It set aside over $2 billion for excluded workers. The money would go towards those who lost income during the pandemic and were left behind by other programs because of their immigration status. While great in theory, many of our neighbors have faced challenges applying on several fronts. Some had technical difficulties, language barriers, or struggled to gather the correct information. To help, groups like Make the Road, the Street Vendor Project, and Churches United for Fair Housing all came together to host application assistance events. They were held all over the city, and I went to one of them to hear directly from our neighbors who needed help. Before we begin, a quick message from our friends and sponsors at McKinsey & Company. People who are rich will take care of themselves. They're fine. But people who are regular, you know, I, I want to see what opportunities can we afford them. That's Jeffrey Seller, producer of Hamilton, talking about how he created a lottery to provide $10 premium tickets to give more equitable access to orchestra seats. And by the way, I've never said that out loud before. He's featured in a recent edition of Intersection, McKinsey's weekly newsletter that shares stories about diversity, gender equality, and inclusion. Check out McKinsey's Intersection newsletter at mckinsey.com forward slash intersection. And thanks. Now, back to the show. Terry Allison was the first person I spoke to. She's a home health aide who lost work during the pandemic. She's now homeless and living in a shelter. Do you mind introducing yourself for me and telling me your name and what you work in? Okay, I'm Terry N. And I'm working currently as like a home health aide. So this really helped. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. So um, would you mind telling me a little bit more about like your experience in the pandemic with your job? Like, did you lose it? Yes, I did. Hmm. And then the, unfortunately, you see like oh, other people who could get benefit. So I'm so grateful for this now because before it's like, what could we do? Mm -hmm. We're like a nobody. So it's kind of good. And how did you know what documents to bring? What I don't know is um, the, the state had called me because what I did was that I send my documents in and they look over the application and tell me what I needed and what I was missing. So what I did was that I come here and they went into my application and they find out what I was missing and they just fix it. It was right in front of my eyes, but yeah. you have to be a tax person to know. Mm. So someone just informed me. So do you think like it's easy to navigate online by yourself? No, because mm. this is like my fourth try. So no, I think this is really better 
because there's a lot of people that don't have any understanding because even as intelligent I am the paper that they wanted was right in front of my face and I've tried like four times so they really do need help like people to help them yeah and you speak English is that yeah, your first language that's my first language and I still had problems so can you imagine you know so they really this is really good they need more help Terry was grateful to have a volunteer personally help her with her application. She had tried to submit it once before, but wasn't successful. Why do you need this fund? Why? Because I lost all. You see, I have two kids. And because we're undocumented, we don't get anything. So can you imagine I have two kids and I have to be suffering because I don't get that luxury $1,200 and what they get. So this will help out a lot. And I'm staying at a shelter. So this will be much grateful. What do you, I guess, if you could tell New Yorkers or the city, like, something you need, what would you, what would you say you need? What they need is much more, like, understanding that, you know, most people, they only come here to work and live a good life. So if they could have more communication or, because sometimes people are just scared. Terry hopes to hear back soon, but the review process can take months. And during that time, the fund administrators may still ask for even more documentation. I also talked to Javier Awat. Javier worked at a restaurant that was forced to close its doors during the pandemic. He fell behind on rent, which led him to seek help at the application assistance event where we met. My name is Javier Awat. I worked for a company or a restaurant. It's called Cooper Crab Kitchen. And unfortunately, because of the pandemic, we had to get fired. And that's why we're here, because it's mostly because of the family, the expenses, the rent, and it's been a very difficult time. But thank God we had this opportunity to come and apply. And we received very good attention. There are no words to describe the attention and how they have helped the Hispanic population. Javier was incredibly grateful for the volunteers and the organizers who helped him with the application. One of them was Brian Paguada, the youth organizer at Churches United for Fair Housing. I asked him about the problems that applicants are facing. He said one of the biggest hurdles is gathering things like proof of residency and letters from employers. For him, it's heartbreaking to tell people that they qualify but don't have the proof. Uh, my name is Brian Paguana, gender pronouns he, him, they. I am organizer, so I was there on Saturday event as a one-on-one application. So I was doing one-on-one application with people who came to Saturday event. Uh, personally, I think I submitted like six applications throughout the process. And then I think in, in overall, we did like, we did say like 80 people. And what kinds of jobs did most of the people have? Most of the jobs that I, we have been seeing, that I have been seeing, it is construction, cleaning, um, babysitting, and also a street vendor. So I think that's the most that have been. And you mentioned that a lot of people, well, most people didn't pay, like, taxes. How else do they prove their job and income? There are some different choices that we are, like, looking into. Specifically, number one, if they don't pay taxes, they either, they have three choices. They either can pay taxes uh, from 2019, 18, and 20. Also, if a person, uh, like a tax 
from their employer and being like, I need you to come at work. That also counts because it's showing that they are being demand to show up to work. Um, and I think you mentioned it a little bit. Uh, what is like the number one question that you hear from these people? I think number one is who qualified. I think it's still in the air. A lot of people don't know, specifically our undocumented people don't know that they can apply. Or some people feel that this help, this fund is only for New York City. This is for New York State. Also, some people feel that they're not clear about the immigration status because this is the first uh, grant in the nation. So a lot of like, there's not like a lot of help for undocumented communities, which they don't know that this is for them. Um, what's the number one reason that causes people's applications to get rejected? Like proof of residency. So like the proof of residency from last year. So they're asking specifically um, any bill from last year, 2020, uh, between February to March, and a lot of people are throwing papers out. So um, they don't have paper from last year. Um, I guess it might cause some people to wonder, like, how is it possible that they don't have anything under their name? Um, mm-hmm. w- would you mind, like, explaining, like, why that may be, like, why that thing's, like, under their name? Because our undocumented communities here in the U.S., they have been marginalized in, in scare, in police, in harass, where I was mentioning they don't trust the system. So also educating people about this from they don't they feel that they're going to be, you know, this information is going to be shared with immigration, tax information. So they feel what is the answer? A lot of time, specifically, we just got out this election, Trump, it was not the best person to be in office for our undocumented community, where we were not receiving any, any support for COVID. And prior to that, the other like presidents, our people were getting deported. Our people were getting were, were being forced to be to be deported. And also they were going to house. And specifically there were some support. There was a, there was one time when Trump got into office, there was police officers from ICE going into Sunset Park looking for people at 4 a.m., 5 a.m., 3 a.m., where people are sleeping, where people are just resting and they want to go to work. But specifically waiting for them, by the time they step out to go to work, they will, they will capture them, they will arrest them, they will send them back. So it is about trust. People have not been trusting the system and it's fairly right because they have been using our people into the banish. It's that fear, like, what is going to happen with my information? Am I going to be deported with that? When the next administration changes, so it's just people don't trust to go get IDs because they feel if they put their address, they're going to be, you know, answered. They're going to, someone's going to be looking for them or just, I don't know, just, they don't trust the system, which is a lot to like educate them. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think this question is very, the answer might be obvious, but I would just like, I guess, to get a quote from you. Um, well, most of these people are undocumented. Will this affect their citizenship status? No, this would not affect in any immigration status. This is uh, money that is rightfully ours for people 
who have been paying their taxes for more than 35 years and they have been contributing to our society more than other people who don't pay their fair taxes. And this is the, the help that we demanding. So we are celebrating also the fruit of this grant of in the labor of every single person who put their energies into this campaign. Because this was not something that it was given, it was fought for every single person across the state. Our neighbors like Brian are working hard to make sure excluded workers are getting the funds they need. But the money wouldn't have been available without the dedication of local advocates. Epicenter Sam Zacker had a conversation with Assembly member Marcella Mitaines on how she helped push the deal through the New York State Legislature. Marcella migrated to New York City, Sunset Park to be exact, from Peru, and at an early age, she was exposed to the many challenges that many excluded workers are dealing with today. So yeah, what is the hashtag Fund Excluded Workers organization and movement? What are its goals? What were its goals? And how does the organization go about achieving those? And how did it go about achieving those as you've made this progress? So this was um, uh, uh, organizations and individuals who came together and came up with a plan of various actions to try and get the attention and really bring this to the mainstream through through different um, activities and things that they did so that we can start having a conversation about this. There were things from rallies and protests to shutting down um, the bridges simultaneous the Brooklyn and the Manhattan Bridge, along with an amazing group of people who decided that they were going to go on hunger strike. And some of these folks were on hunger strike for 22 days, sacrificing not just themselves and their bodies, um, but really highlighting the plight of the immigrants here in our community. And, and it was a very inspiring moment, I, I hope, for the, for the state as well. Uh, that was my next question about the hunger strike. I saw that you joined them. I was wondering your experience and also the energy at those gatherings, if you could describe that to me. You know, this very much became a conversation in conference while I was in Albany. And I was really taken aback by some of the comments some of the racist, hateful comments about why this was not a good idea, um, why they couldn't support something like this. And so I was really just inspired by their sacrifices. And it, it felt like I had done enough talking <laughs> and I just needed to do something. Um, and it just it just felt right to go down, to come back to the city and go down and like meet them. And, and you know, it was a very humbling experience that they allowed me within that space. You have to remember also at this time, I am still technically um, a legislator and had businesses in Albany. So I actually packed up my stuff, including my laptop and had to zoom in to uh, meetings and continue to do my work and continue to, you know, hold on to my responsibility in that. And it also gave me a very unique opportunity to discuss with them in real time what was happening. So it was uh, it was a, a beautiful opportunity to share with them. I got to know them on a personal level and really hear their stories from themselves of, you know, the years that they spent here, the time that they put into the community, how they got involved with, with the organizations, and, you know, culminating to this decision to actually decide to put their livelihoods on the line. It was, it was very inspiring to be there. Yeah, I read about it and I saw some videos and pictures and it was just, it was inspiring. That's just the word for it. Advocates like Marcella are great examples of how working together can create meaningful programs and funding for our neighbors who need it most. So here are a few ways that you can help. If you know anyone who might be eligible, let them know there's a way for them to get financial relief. 
you can point them towards the resources linked in our show notes. If you don't know anyone who might be eligible, then reach out to your legislators. Let them know that you're happy about the Excluded Workers Fund being included in the budget. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe to our newsletter to hear more stories like this every week. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Karavika. You can find more of their music on their website, linked to in our podcast description.